welcome to this week's edition for the Wise Up Podcast. This is your host, Azra Siddiqui. As a reminder, Wise Up is my platform to educate the Muslim and South Asian community about local Texas and national politics. You can find my podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or hear them every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on Radio Azad. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook with the handle WiseUp, or check out my website, www.wiseuptx.com. Remember everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. So today's podcast is a continuation of last week's, so it's Justice is a Manifestation of Love, Part 2. But before we start the second part of the interview, let's hear about the news of the week. Today is the final presidential primary, and it's happening in Washington, D.C. Basically, Hillary Clinton is already the Democratic nominee, with President Obama, Vice President Biden, and and Senator Elizabeth Warren endorsing her. People feel that Bernie will drop out today, and he met with Obama last week, and political pundits are saying that it's probably to make sure his agenda becomes incorporated into the Democratic platform. So we'll see if that happens today. It seems most likely. But I guess we can finally conclude that the 2016 presidential election will be Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. Moving on um, to the West Coast in Stanford, uh, at Stanford University, there was an outrage where a freshman um, from Stanford sexually assaulted a woman and he was only given six months, and there was just a huge outrage because people felt like it was affluenza, that because he was a um, well-off white male, that that's the reason why he was able to get away with it. Um, Race became a huge issue because it is a known fact that minorities who have been caught with um, less intense crimes have gotten higher incarceration times. But because of all the social media attention and all the anger that insinuated after this incident, it seems like he's been banned from swimming ever again um, for like the U.S. team or to participate at um, Stanford's swim team as well. It was a very unfortunate incident. And again, it seems that, you know, I spoke about Baylor last week and with this incident, it seems that um, sexual assault is becoming a major issue in college campuses, and it's just not been handled very well. And it's interesting to note that these are both um, issues where sports were involved. And again, like I've stated before, you know, where do we draw the line when it comes to the safety of the girls on campus and um, athletics? Well, that's something to think about. Um, regarding foreign affairs, Prime Minister of India, Prime Minister Modi visited a joint session of Congress this past week and spoke about attaining stronger U.S. and India ties. Um, radical Islamism is a term that we have heard from the GOP, and it seems that def- Democrats have definitely refrained from using that word. It seems that in the past few days um, after the Orlando incident, Hillary Clinton, in an interview with MSNBC, vaguely referred to it. She said that, you know, you can use it, but none of that matters. Um, We're, at the end of the day, we're just trying to stop these violent actions. Um, But, you know, she also added that you can't 
demonize a single religion. And, you know, I just want to give my two cents. I appreciate that. But to be honest, the only way that we as a nation are going to stop um, demonizing Muslims is to just call them radical terrorists. There doesn't need to be this radical jihadist, radical Islamists. I don't think that it's necessary. I mean, when you're putting in these terms, people automatically think of Muslims and they think of it in an exceptionally negative connotation. And I personally feel that that's a cause for a lot of bigotry these days. Um, it just, Islam or Jihad, none of these words need to be incorporated in there. It just shouldn't be a factor. At the end of the day, these people are just crazy, violent, radical people, and that's exactly what they should be called. And on to the saddest news of the week is the mass shooting that occurred in um, Orlando, Florida. It was a major terror attack. We all know about the 49 people that were ruthlessly killed at a gay bar in Orlando. The details of the incident are absolutely harrowing. Um, I don't know if you saw an article that's been circulating on social media, but there was an article about a mom who was receiving the last text from her son. He unfortunately didn't make it. And I want to start by saying, while the Muslim community is rightfully condemning um, this atrocious attack, we also need to mourn. And we need to mourn for the 49 beautiful and innocent souls that were lost. Secondly, as South Asian and Muslims, culturally we're not open-minded towards the LGBT community. And this needs to change for several reasons. One, religiously and culturally, you may not agree with the LGBT way of life, but that doesn't matter. You know, people may not like the way you practice um, your um, religion or your life, but they respect your choice, and that's what it comes down to. And at the end of the day, what matters is that America was made so that people could be here to practice their faith and life as they see fit. And, of course, as long as it's not violent or harming other people, these people, are, you know, are just just like us. They just have different preferences. And that's something that we need to become more open-minded about. This also leads to the topic of anti-bigotry. You know, as South Asian and Muslims, we face a lot of Islamophobia and bigotry, and we should be against all forms of bigotry, any and all forms of bigotry. And unfortunately, you know, we've been silent on that. We've been focusing more on Islamophobia. And the LGBT community has stood by us whenever we've dealt with um, Islamophobia and a lot of bigotry that's occurred to our communities. And so now, now it's time for us to do the same. Unfortunately, it's become a wretched ritual for the Muslim community to condemn these barbaric attacks. But if we as a community unite behind the LGBT community during this mournful time, I hope people from within our community begin having these tough talks about how we've been silent and mostly unsupportive of them and what we can do to change that. While we quickly stand up and post about anti-Muslim actions, we are silent when other minorities face bigotry. Maybe that's because, you know, our government as a whole has not been very friendly or supportive to the LGBT community, but that doesn't mean we should have been silent. No, absolutely not. Now, more than ever, we need to stand with the LGBT community, mourn with them, and let them know that we support them because we stand for no form of bigotry. Last but not least, we need to talk about gun control now. This was the worst mass shooting in U.S. history, and the statistics for the number of mass shootings in America is beyond staggering. 
For the upcoming November elections, addressing gun control issues should be one of the top priorities you look for in your local and presidential candidates. This isn't the time to stay silent. And don't let the media sell our story and tell our story for us. This is a time to outwardly support the LGBT community and for gun control so that we can assure this type of atrocious, hateful, senseless act of violence never ever happens again. Please, everyone, use your voice. And on that note, I hope you all will be more open-minded and more willing to stand up for any forms of anti-bigotry. I do intend to talk about this topic again right after we, um, we listen to the second part of the interview with Simran and Jeet Singh. So last week, we left off with Simran discussing about the importance of defining what Islamophobia is. Because right now, although we hear a lot of media accounts of what's been going on and the bigotry that's been going on, we don't really have a good sense of what it's like in America and in Texas. We share the info, but not everybody else does. We wanted to see, or more so Simran wanted to see if there was a pattern. Most people in America can hear or talk about one or two incidences of Islamophobia, but they aren't a big deal to them. It is during his teachings that he shows them that it's a serious problem and needs addressing. He also talked about how Texas is in an interesting position. It's more known as a backwards state. Maybe that's because of the politicians and some of the statements they make. But what it's unknown for is how it's one of the most ethic ethnically diverse states, and it has the largest Muslim population in America. Their study wanted to identify key issues in Islamophobia and start cataloging over the past few decades to look at trends. He's hoping that with this study, we would be able to influence policy and lawmakers about what, how Islamophobia is affecting Texas. He also pointed out that religion has been racialized, and that's become a very important distinction to note. He's also mentioned how innocent people are having to deal with bigotry just because of what they believe in. The scariest part to him is how our elected officials are demonstrating anti-Islam in their political platforms and in their commentary. They're challenging the foundation of separation and state, of separation of church and state, and it's also giving people the ability to promote bigotry. Finally, towards the end of segment one, he spoke about how you're raising your kids in dealing with this anti-bigotry sentiment and what we can do about it. Overall, he said that we should raise our kids to see the goodness in everyone and be appreciative of differences. People are scared of different people. So education is one of the most important steps in teaching our kids that people are different, but that doesn't mean that in a negative connotation and that we should be appreciative of their differences. Now that you've had a review of what we discussed last week, let's move on to the second part of the interview with Simranjit Singh. So, you have spoken about the discriminatory, you know, issues that you've dealt with. How has Islamophobia as a whole affected the Sikh community? Um, you know, quite a bit. I would say that the Sikh. The Sikh community has been disproportionately affected simply okay. because our our religious identity uh, comports with the stereotypical perception of what a terrorist looks like. And so uh -huh. around the country, especially since 9-11, uh, 
um, a lot of hate crimes have occurred in which uh, Sikhs have been targeted uh, because the attacker uh, perceived those individuals to be Muslim. Um, and so this, this means, you know, everything from, from school bullying at triple the national average, um, hate crimes that happen on what now has become about a monthly basis. Um, and that is, you know, everything from from beating, stabbing, shootings, murders. Uh, you know, it's it's a really serious problem, and we've been trying to deal with it as best we can over the last uh, 15 years, especially. But it's you know, it's right. not something that's particularly new for us. Um, I guess what I would say, though, is a couple of things. One is um, the community is pretty clear about the fact that the source of Islamophobia um, is not simply specific to Muslims, um, that racism is the broader umbrella under which anti-Muslim sentiment falls, and, and we won't actually resolve the problem uh, until we address racism at its core, because we believe it's not the right thing to do ethically. Um, it's not right to say, hey, attack somebody else because of how they look. Or what they believe, and you got the wrong uh-huh. person. Um, so we haven't done that, and, and we also haven't done that because we believe it's strategically wrong. We don't believe actually uh, that it does anybody any good to simply deflect racism onto another community. We really need to attack it at its core, and so I think it's a much harder road that we're choosing as a community. You know, it's much harder to stand in solidarity with a community that is constantly being oppressed. Uh, right. But I think, again, I think it's it's the right thing to do and that we'll all be better for it. So, so it's the road that we've chosen. It definitely is. Um, almost, I guess, I don't even know the perfect word for it, but it's, it's very noble of the Sikh community to stand by um, with the Muslim community and, and the South Asian community as a whole to show that um, that racism is wrong, you know? And I feel that right. as, as a as a whole, like we should always stick together with not even just with South Asians or with religious differences, but again, like I mentioned before, with you know the other communities that you know that deal with prejudice, like we should always stick together. Right. You know, it's, um, it's funny because I I never thought of it as noble. I actually never thought of it as anything. I just thought it was we just should do it because it's the right thing to do, and that's sort of how were raised, right? That's sort of our belief system. Um, uh-huh. But it also, it, it 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 bothers me a little bit when people say it's a noble thing because it, it speaks to the fact that our country is in such a place right now that doing the right thing uh, is so uncommon that it sort right. of stands out for something special that people are doing. Whereas, you know, in my opinion, if people actually live by the values that they say are important to them, you know, Americans right. believe in justice and equality and liberty, um, then we then we always stand in solidarity with any minority community who's being oppressed. Um it, it, it you know, it just struck me when you said that that it that it speaks to how far how far away we are from our our ideals sometimes as a as a society. Right. And I I think I use that term because most people in most communities don't do it. They would right, do right, exactly. And so, you know, and the, and that is why I said it because it's just something that's not very 
um, heard of, and it's not something that's always appreciated. Right, right. No, I, I, I agree with you exactly. And 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 I again, I, I would just sort of underscore the the fact that you know, if only people people would would live by the by the values that they that they say they would, you know, we wouldn't have these problems. But I guess you know that's the nature of the world. We often right. every community then, has its ideals, and everybody comes up short, and that's and that's humanity. So. <laughs> That's how we right are. in the ideal world, we would all, you know, be sticking up for anyone and everyone that dealt with any sort of racism. But unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. Right, right, exactly. So, how do you feel that the Sikh community has dealt with this racism that's affected them? Um, I would say, you know, there are there are a few a few different approaches we've taken. The first has been education. We've we've sort of made it a a priority to begin educating others about uh, who we are and sort of just trying to uh, introduce ourselves to our American neighbors. Um, so that's, that's an important aspect because I, we, we believe that uh, a, a large portion of xenophobia draws from ignorance. And so if we can address ignorance, then we're, we're addressing part of the problem. Uh, with that said, we also recognize that uh, Racism is not just about ignorance. Oftentimes, it's intentional too, um, and in many ways, it is intentional. In many ways, it is implicit and, and un, unconscious. Um, and so, we we have to address it in many different ways because it's such a complex phenomenon. Um, other things we have been doing as a community include uh, political engagement, political advocacy. Uh, uh-huh. So, when there are laws on the books that are discriminatory, uh, we try and address those so that essentially we help ensure the civil rights of all Americans who are being discriminated against, especially uh, when it comes to issues of discrimination on the basis of religious appearance uh, or practice. Um, so that's, that's been an important piece of the puzzle for us. Um, another thing I would say is that we have, we have, really made an important uh, we, we've really attended to the idea of restorative justice and what we believe is that uh, especially in a country where uh, mass incarceration is such a problem and right. the cycle the cycle of the cycle of violence just continues in, in those sorts of yes. situations in the, within our sort of criminal justice system uh, we've really tried to make a focus on restoring individuals or rehabilitating individuals who perpetrate hate violence. Um, and we believe that sort of speaks better to our values as a community, but also uh, allows people to understand and appreciate who we are as a people. And I think that's done quite a bit of good work for us in terms of in terms of really getting to know what sick values are. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you can really tell what someone's values are when they're put in a tough position, um, uh-huh. and you see what you see what remains. And so, when you know a hate crime occurs and you're in the most difficult, vulnerable type of position, um, right. if you can act with compassion uh, and understanding, then really um, you're showing your true colors as a person. And then that does that does incredible, incredible work for all parties involved. And so, and so that's been an important part of the equation for us. Criminal justice reform is something that, you know, I definitely want to talk about in a, in a separate podcast because I do think it's something, you know, that's going to be pretty big in the upcoming 
Texas legislature and in the national election. But um, this type of situation, you know, you hear that with more violent crimes. So I'm very intrigued with how you guys have done this with hate crimes. Right. Well, you know, what what I would emphasize is that when dealing dealing with justice, uh, with compassion and with love, which is sort of our model for operating, right? In, in the sixth tradition, uh-huh. justice is a manifestation of love. And, and and doing so does not mean that one cannot be firm. Uh, you can still be firm uh, and deal with love and justice at the same time. Um, but what it means is that things become far more humanized, uh, situations are more humanized, criminals are more humanized. And so when they make, when they make, um, when, when they make situations that are difficult, uh, for other people around them, what we really like to do is sort of come together and help them recognize why it's difficult, what, what, what motivated them to do so and why it was wrong. I mean, essentially, it's, it's very similar to how you would sort of, if, if you were raising your own child and you were, discipline them you know we call it punishment but really what we're trying to do is is teach them educate them and rehabilitate them so that they become better people right they're better for their mistakes because they went from their mistakes and that's and that's sort of what we've done you know so so for example we've had recently a few a few individuals who committed uh, hate crimes uh, some were physical assaults uh, some were acts of vandalism uh, where we've invited them into our community uh, we've asked for them uh-huh. to engage in community service with us. Um, and as part of that experience, we have interacted with those people in a way that helps them understand that we, you know, we don't see them as, as, as criminals or hateful people who, who are soulless or inhumane. Uh, we, we treat them with respect just as we would anybody else. Um, and that really, I think that really touches them and, um, and, and they come back and we, we ask them to, Typically, we ask them to share what their experiences were like and how it changed their perceptions. Uh, and and actu- actually, every time I have uh, been a part of that process, um, I have seen uh-huh. an individual transform in the way that they perceive people of all different backgrounds, not just sex, um, but people of various different backgrounds who they may before have considered to be uh, second-class citizens or less than normal um, and, and instead started to respect people uh, because simply because they were people as opposed to, you know, what they look like or where they were coming from. That's incredible. Like, that's really, really incredible. I hadn't heard of that before in dealing with hate crimes, and I think mm-hmm. that's a really big accomplishment. That's a really great way of, you know, dealing with that situation. Thank you. I mean, I, yeah, I can't, I can't take credit for it. I, I'm only a small part of the large process, and it's not—it's not my idea. It comes from our tradition, uh, but it is—it is a very powerful experience to be a part of because it really, you know, as, as you're going through this transformation with somebody else, uh, right. you, your eyes are opened as well, and it's, it's very powerful. Yeah, it definitely seems like it. Um, so you also write articles for the Texas Tribune and a couple of other news outlets in Texas, right? That's right. Yes, I do. So in one of the articles you've had written, um, you discuss how we need to hold people accountable for their bigotry. 
Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, how do you recommend we as a South Asian community, like how, how do you hold people accountable for the bigotry that they've done, you know, upon yeah, us or question. in general? Yeah, it's it's a really tough question. I mean, it's a great question. Um, it's a tough proposition, I should say. Um, okay. In that it's not it's not an easy thing to do when when people are mistreating you to to try and respond with love and compassion is a very difficult thing, especially uh-huh. for a community who uh, has been conditioned as as underrepresented minorities. Uh, we've been conditioned to be deferential, uh, to be soft spoken, and and so I think what's important is that we ought to stand up for ourselves. Uh, when we're being mistreated, and do so in a way that's effective, uh, but still in a way that's compassionate uh, and loving. And so, uh-huh. one of the one of the examples, I think, the article to which you're referring was in response to a to a sick man who was uh, accused of being a terrorist. Who he was riding on a Greyhound bus. He was accused of being a terrorist, um, and the cops came and arrested him at gunpoint, uh, along with uh-huh. another Muslim man who was on the bus. Um, and arrested him at gunpoint and, and detained him for 30 hours. Um, right. And it was a, a very, very sad story for me because the man who was arrested did not speak English. He couldn't fend for himself. And so when oh, something wow. like that happens, um, my position is we have a responsibility to speak for those who don't have a voice. Or, I mean, uh-huh. he has a voice. He didn't speak English, and so it was time <laughs> for him to defend himself as right. well. We really have a responsibility to to speak up for him, and those on the bus who were with him could have very easily stood up for him, and nobody did. Mm-hmm. And the the person who accused him of being a terrorist simply because he had a turban and beard, and because he was speaking a different language, um, you know, there are how many how many dozens of people on the bus who could have called her out for her bigotry. There was there were law enforcement officials who went along with her accusations as opposed uh-huh. to assuming that these individuals were innocent as opposed to guilty. Um, right. There were the people of the town, the the district attorney attorney still hasn't responded. Uh the state officials, the city officials haven't really said anything. I mean there is a this whole This was in Amarillo, right? This was in Amarillo, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's, you know, there are how many millions of people in Texas, and nobody's nobody's paying attention, nobody's saying anything, and so right. it is most like these when South Asians, uh, people of various backgrounds and allies uh, who are concerned about civil rights and freedoms in this country really need to come together and say, hey, this is not acceptable. And I'm not seeing enough of that in our in our society, especially in Texas, where. Our communities are coming together and supporting one another and saying, hey, we're not going to stand for this, whether it's somebody who is sick or Hindu or Muslim or brown or black or white, right? Like, right. we're just not making a stand and it's, it's creating a lot of problems. For I agree with you. Um, and I know that we, I, I've said this like earlier in the segment, it's just that we haven't been doing a great job in standing up for other minorities and then we're expecting people to be thinking of us like, oh, why aren't people standing up for us? And it doesn't work that way. Um, right, right, right. We need to collectively work together if, you know, we want to stop bigotry. Exactly, exactly. Well, that was a really unfortunate incident in um, Amarillo, Texas. And unfortunately, those incidents have happened more often than once, even in Texas. 
uh, I know you guys <clears throat> went into detail about that in uh, the study. So what's the best way for people, if they want to read more in depth about your study, what's the best way for them to um, attain it, even though I'll have it posted on my website and Facebook page? But oh, oh, thank you for doing that. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. The best, the best place to find it is on the website for our organization, uh, which okay. is uh, diversityandcivicslife.org. Diversity and civic life is the and That's like right. spelled out or is it the? The answer, no, it's, it's spelled out. Diversity and civic life is all spelled out, okay. uh, and it's a dot org. Okay. And so that's the best way for them to um, be able to read the study, am I correct? That's right. That's the best way to find it. Okay. And um, do you have any last words for us, for our listeners? I don't. I mean, I, I would just say that while everything I'm, everything we discussed on this podcast uh, was was pretty uh, sad, <laughs> difficult uh, experiences <laughs> and challenges that we're facing, as communities, I, I, you know, I'm generally a, a positive, optimistic person. Uh, I believe that uh, minorities in this country have a, 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 a lot of opportunities. Uh, we are, in many ways, we are uh, far beyond where we were uh, a couple of decades ago, even five years ago. Um, so we are making huge strides, uh, especially South Asian communities. Uh, right. We have, we have voices and platforms that we've never had before. Uh, uh -huh. We have representatives. We have allies that you know just really never existed before. Um, so I think I think you know again while what we discussed was uh, on, on the sadder side of things, <laughs> yeah. uh, I am I am optimistic, and I think I think there's a lot of opportunities for growth. Uh, a lot of good stuff is happening, and I'm excited to see what the next couple of decades will bring. Yeah, that really sounds good, and and yes, we did discuss a lot of sad stuff, but at the end of the day, I think. <laughs> I think people need to hear it, and I think it was um, it was a really great um, study that's done, and it's never been done before, and I think that's something that we needed to listen about because there are certain things we don't know that could provide useful in trying to combat the situations that we're going through. But right, right, you're right. right. There is still hope, and there's a lot that we can do, and there's a lot that we are very, very fortunate to have while living in this great country. And that's the interview for today. So that concludes the two-part segment I had for Justice is the Manifestation of Love. I wanted to point out some of the main takeaways I took from this interview. One of the biggest points I believe he made was we won't be able to fix the problem unless we address racism at the core. And he gave this prime example about how the Sikh community have refused to say we're not Muslim. Instead, they're against deflecting racism to another community. And they're standing up for any bigotry at all, whatsoever. And that's something I feel that the rest of the South Asian and Muslim community can learn from. You know, we heard him talk about the example of what had occurred in Amarillo, Texas, where a Sikh man was considered a terrorist and was asked to um, get off the Greyhound bus. I see several of my Muslim friends posting about situations that occur to the Muslim community, but while certain of these situations have happened to the Sikh community, it's kind of been silent, and not many people have been posting about it, and that's, that's not right. And I've, as I've addressed before, 
earlier in this segment with the situation that's happened in Orlando, we cannot continuously stay silent about any forms of bigotry. If we really want to address racism and Islamophobia at its core, we need to stand up for all forms of bigotry. And, you know, I did make the comment that the fact that the Sikh community is standing up for the Muslim community, like, that's a noble thing to do. And he's right that for me to even say that, it just shows as a nation how doing the right thing is now so uncommon, and that's true. And we need to continue to work towards that goal of doing the right thing, of sticking up for everyone, and to be anti-bigotry in all forms and aspects. I think the most intriguing and best part about this interview was learning about how the way the Sikh community has dealt with the disproportionate um, racism that has happened after 9-11 and he discussed how it's happening through educating people and I thought the biggest one was when you talk about criminal the criminal justice system and how when people have you know been convicted of a physical assault or vandalism of the sick community um, they've invited them in their homes and to do a community service program so they get to learn about the people about the culture about the religion and it really changes their views on not only the Sikh community, but the whole world, and to be more open about it. And I think that was just the biggest thing that really stood out to me. That's something that I haven't really heard of, and I think that's something that it would be very beneficial for the Muslim community to take part in. So maybe, you know, if you talk to your mosque or Jamaat Khanna, that this is something that the Muslim community could really um, utilize this advice and to try and work these ideas in into the community because at the end of the day those people they just know that we're different and that they have this fear of us and that may be the best way to kind of address the problem those that already have such negative um, views of us and that's kind of where I got the name um, for this for both podcasts was justice is the manifestation of love and at the end of the day things become more humanized and I think that's such an important point to make because those of us that have this fear of um, other groups, we don't think of them as humans first. And at the very end of the day, I think humanity is the most important thing that ties us all together. We're all humans, and we all share the same feelings and a lot of the same um, views. It's just that we don't know about it because we haven't been educated, we haven't talked about it. And if things can become more humanized, maybe we can progress and you know, have a better world. And finally, his discussion of how, you know, we can hold those responsible for bigotry. And I think the biggest takeaway is that we have a responsibility to speak for those who don't have a voice. And when you see racism or bigotry happening, right then and there, we should speak up. We shouldn't allow it to happen. We should speak up and talk about how it's wrong. And that's the situation many Muslim people didn't post about the sick gentleman that was, you know, on the, with the whole Amarillo bus situation. Um, maybe we haven't been as speaking up with the racism we see for Hispanics or African Americans or the LGBT community. And that's something we need to change because we can't continue doing this if we want to see change for our community as well. And at the end of the day, what we need to be is we need to be effective, yet compassionate at the same time. 
And I think we can do that by, you know, standing up for our rights, using our voice, especially in the political sector, but then making sure to reach out to our community, especially in times of need. I know that our community has been doing a great job with what's been happening in Orlando and what had happened in, um, in North Carolina in those very tragic situations. And that's where we show our compassion, that we're a loving a group of people and that we're just as American as everyone else. But at the same time, we also need to stand up for what's right and to stand up for ourselves and become effective in using our voice in the political sector. So I hope you all enjoyed today's segment and, you know, have something to think about of the different ways now that we can approach um, bigotry and that we need to really broaden our view to try and tackle this very grave problem that's really hurting our nation. So I hope you'll be tuning in next week and don't forget to check out my social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and my website at www.wiseuptx.com W-I-S-E-U-P-T-X.com So let's all become educated, let's all become wiser, and let's all start giving up. Till next time.